You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. For joining us here at Grab Them by the Pod, I am Kevin. We've got Jesse here as always, and we've got lots of politics to talk about. Man, was it a day for the Trump administration. Jesse, what do you got? Yeah, as we start our second gear here at Grab Them by the Pod, uh, it is unfortunately more of the same. Yeah, Trump and his administration have had a bad week. Uh, Jared Kushner, he lost his top secret clearance. Uh, Donald Trump yelled at Jeff Sessions today, and Hope Hicks has resigned. Not a not a good start for the first three days in a week for Trump. Yeah, not at all. And these guys are not just anybody's. I mean, they are somebody's. They are deep, <laughs> in, deeply entrenched in the Trump administration. They are close to the top. I mean, one of them is married to Trump's daughter. I mean, that's that you can't get much closer than that. Um, Jared Kushner, he, yeah, he lost his security. He just has regular secret clearance, no longer top secret. It wasn't just him, though. Uh, according to Politico, all White House aides who were working you know, at interim level at the highest uh, levels uh, were kicked back down. Trump has the ability to give him back his permanent clearance, but he's leaving it up to John Kelly. And so far, John Kelly has been silent on that, which uh, doesn't bode well. Not at all. And see, you mentioned it, Jess. The problem here was that so many people working that close to the Oval Office had interim security clearances for a year now. So all this time, people who we weren't really quite sure should have access to that information have had access. And Kushner on, on even other areas has been hit this week. Uh, we found out that a lot of foreign entities or countries even have said, you know, he was the guy that you're going to go to if you're trying to get through everything. You know, he has a lot of businesses overseas and possibly you can go to him through that. That's not what you want in somebody that close to the president. Uh, I've heard that Mueller is really zeroing in on him as well. Uh, Kushner uh, may be talking to Ivanka through bars at some point. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it just it doesn't look good for Kushner. Well, it doesn't look good, but his attorney, Abby Lowell, says that changes, and I quote, will not affect Mr. Kushner's ability to do the very important work he has been assigned by the president. End quote. And I wonder, what what exactly is that work? Well, he was single-handedly going to fix the Middle East peace process. So uh, now with all this chaos, I, I just really weep for the Middle East. So Trump also got really upset at Jeff Sessions, his attorney general today. Now, this isn't the first time he's publicly tried to shame Jeff Sessions, but it just makes no sense. He tweeted out today, why is AG Jeff Sessions asking the inspector general to investigate potentially massive FISA abuse? Will take forever, has no prosecutorial power, and already late with reports on Comey, etc.? Isn't the IG an Obama guy? Why not just use Justice Department lawyers? Disgraceful. Well, Trump is his boss. He could just tell him what to do, direct him what to do. So what is disgraceful here? The fact that, you know, it's an Obama guy? You know, it's just, we can't use him. We can only use people who like me. These guys are career bureaucrats. They, they get put in there by by Obama. It doesn't mean he's working secret. You know, he's not uh, sending texts to Obama under the table while he's in meetings with Trump people. It's so stupid. And he's just yelling at this guy for no other reason other than when he was appointed. Uh, I, and I don't understand what he expects out of Sessions. I mean, <laughs> he really wants Sessions to go above and beyond the nonsense that he's already doing. And I, I don't think Sessions is going to – for someone who says you're fired all the time on TV, he doesn't like firing people. He likes to just belittle people until they quit, and I think that's what he's doing here. It would seem that way, and you know, it's 
reality television and the real world are two very different things. Although that's kind of funny in itself, isn't it? The real world was like the first of the reality shows. But, you know, in this case, this is real government business that's being conducted. And it's a lot harder to fire somebody who has this much experience and that much background as Jeff Sessions does. It's not going to look good for Donald Trump. So he's kind of laying off and, like you said, belittling until hopefully he walks away on his own. I mean, this is a guy who gave up his safe seat in the Senate, which was then later won by a Democrat, uh, to take this position. And if he leaves after a year, year and a half, and what, is, what does he do now? I mean, he just, I guess he goes, works at a lobbying firm, makes millions of dollars. But still, I mean, that's that's a lot to ask about somebody who gave up their – I mean, I don't like Jeff Sessions, uh, but he gave up you know, a safe seat and being one of the most powerful people in this country – uh, it's. I can't feel bad for Jeff Sessions, but I just feel bad about the entire thing going on. It's just. It's not good for our country. Not at all. So we'll see where that goes, and we've said that before, and we'll say it again. I'm sure. Oh yeah. And then just about an hour ago, uh, news came out that Hope Hicks is resigning. Uh, she is a communications director. She also is 29, a former model, and had no previous political experience, but somehow ended up in the inner circle. Again, that makes me feel really good about the inner circle in the Trump administration. Well, seems that's the perfect resume if you want to get a job working at the White House right now. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who used to be in the Miss USA pageant that he can call up and they'll. Not that there's anything against Hopex. I mean, you know, she had a, she had a rough month. Her boyfriend had to resign after uh, uh, allegations of abuse to two ex-wives came out. Uh, she already is dealing with the Trump administration and being part of it. So uh, it, it's probably a, a, a good thing that for Hopex that she's leaving. You know, one less thing to worry about. Well, on the bright side for her, now she can spend more time with uh, with Mr. Porter. Yeah, it's just interesting to see if that actually lasts, if that works out. Uh, the timing is really interesting, too. It comes a day after she sat in a long, long interview with the House Intelligence Committee, where she has now famously admitted that her job required her to tell little white lies. That's what we want from someone working in the White House. We tell a lot of white lies. We know it's not something as simple as, oh, Donald Trump didn't eat McDonald's for lunch today. No, no, no. These are the bigger things, regardless of whether or not you consider them white lies. That's your way of trying to CYA and not get yourself in trouble here. And she's not the first person to serve in this position. Sean Spicer, former communications director, the Mooch, former communications director, whoever they hire to replace will be the sixth person to have this role in about a year and a half. That is insane. It's unprecedented. Uh, it just shows what insanity is going on in this White House. One will never know exactly what happens behind the scenes there, but we can only imagine it would make for a heck of a comedy show. That's my Trump. I mean, they already had different versions of that going on right now. I mean, they had that. That's my was it the Bush that my Bush or something going on back when Bush went on Comedy Central. So, uh, what's good for a comedy is not always great for the country and. Uh, that's usually a sad state of affairs, but it's at least it gives us something to laugh at in the process. You know, if you've ever watched the show Veep, I get oh, the yeah. feeling I get the feeling that it, it's kind of like that, except worse, you know, with kind of the insanity that ensues behind the scenes at, at uh, the White House. Well, as someone who used to work in the Senate in the House and has seen a lot of stuff, I always say that Veep is the most realistic. Um, not that you know they're all idiots, but just that you know they're all regular people and they have to get up and go to work and they don't necessarily want to do that. And and I, I see that a lot in that show. But yeah, it's like the Trump administration is is Veep to the nth degree. 
You know the best way to get around um, all this bad news? Announce that you're running for president again in 2020 uh, when it's already 2018. Matt Drudge yesterday from the Drudge Report uh, posted that Trump will announce his plans to run for election sometime this week, although I had heard that he had actually filed to run on the day of the inauguration. So this isn't anything new. It's just a smokescreen to get past a lot of this bad press. Yeah, not to mention that most sitting presidents choose to run for re-election, so it's not that far-fetched. Although I wasn't sure he was going to run. I I thought maybe he was going to say, you know, we've already made America great again. There's no need for me to run. Uh, So I'm only going to be a one-term president because I would win anyways, but I'm not going to run. We did the best, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I I guess – and that still could happen, I guess. But uh, we'll see when he actually comes out. I mean there's been a lot going on this week that he wasn't necessarily planning for. So maybe this announcement gets you know kicked down the road a little bit. But I think it's a perfect thing for him to go on and talk to Sean Hannity and and have all the base excited about him running again. So I'm not sure who uh, this was good news to. It certainly wasn't good news to me, but uh, it's good news to Brad Parscale, whoever the hell that is. It's a former digital advisor who's going to be running the Trump campaign. I guess he works in a pro-Trump group called America First Policies. But I mean, what the hell is a digital advisor? I mean, maybe it's somebody that tells you what what is good and what not to good on, put online. If he was a former digital advisor to Trump. He did a bad job, so I don't know why you trust him with a campaign. Yeah, according to Peter Weber at The Week, Parscale is a close friend of Jared Kushner's. Surprise, surprise. And also, (laughs) in August of 2017, Parscale sold his digital marketing company to the firm of Cloud Commerce, uh, which is what the Associated Press calls a penny stock firm with a questionable history that includes longstanding ties to a convicted fraudster still involved in their management decisions. So Mm-mm-mm. is this the guy you want running your campaign? I guess so if you're Donald Trump. It's going to be interesting to see how – and we're about eh, a year away, maybe a little more, uh, to people start coming in. I looked uh, – it was about a year from now. It was in April of 2015 when Hillary initially uh, officially said she was running. So I figure you know, sometime between next February and next April we'll see some of these people coming out of the woodworks to run for president. Uh, but who will the Democrats run? I was watching an interview with Meghan McCain yesterday on Watch What Happens Live, and she said, you know, Biden is still an interesting person to throw out there because he's universally liked, but he is old. Do you think the Democrats are going to go with someone like old but well-known like him or Bernie, or are they going to go with, I say youth, but relative youth? Like We've talked about Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, uh, even our Senator Chris Murphy. Where do you think they're going to go with this? You know, Jess, I... I like Joe Biden. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I I was a big fan of Bernie Sanders. But again, their age to me kind of prohibits them taking on such a role this late in life and and getting mass support again a second time. I don't know if Bernie could do that a second time around. Uh, But I would I would like to see somebody who is younger and that is charismatic, right? Think of an Obama or a Kennedy, somebody who can get that kind of <laughs> broad mass appeal. And, you know, if you think about it, who was Barack Obama until he made the speech at the Democratic National Convention Nobody. in 2004? <laughs> Nobody knew who he was. And within four years, he was president of the United States. So, you know, maybe there's still somebody to come out of the woodwork that we haven't even thought of yet that will kind of wow us and win us all over. 
Well, I always joke the person who changed history was Mike Dicka. He was going to possibly run as a Republican for the Senate that year from Illinois. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if they would have elected him, but, you know, he's a god in Chicago, I would imagine, after being the Bears uh, the Bears coach. Ditka. <laughs> So if if he had run and won, Obama wouldn't have won, never would have presented. It's these little things in life that I think are funny. You know, I, I will admit that I was wrong uh, a couple years ago. I had said, you know, Hillary, was, it was her time. She was going to win. Biden shouldn't run and kind of laughed at it. But in retrospect, Biden probably would have beaten Trump because, um, you know, his his biggest uh, problems are out front and center. Just that he says stupid things and puts his foot in his mouth. But it's no surprise to anybody. So I don't know what dirt they would throw at him. So... I don't know. We'll see. Um, over the weekend, actually, something interesting happened. We had been talking about the Republican memo that had come out, the Nunes memo uh, that had come out a few weeks ago, and that the Democrats wanted to release their own. Adam Schiff has been talking about it for a long, long time, but Trump rejected it first, said it needed to be changed, things had to be redacted. Finally, on Saturday night, uh, Adam Schiff's Democratic response was released. Uh, it was tried to be they tried to bury it by putting it out on on Saturday night when people are supposedly out doing other things. But you know, the internet sticks around. These are things that we can see regardless of when they come out. And I don't think uh, their plan was successful. Well, you know, I feel as though Dwight Schrute was running around having a hand in this with the amount of <laughs> redacting that was done. For those of you that are Office fans, right? Redact it, <laughs> redact it, redact it. But um, it would seem if you read between the lines, if you read between those uh, redacted parts, that it does not look good for what the Republicans, uh, what Nunez is trying to prove. Not at all. I mean, Trump went on a rampage again. He went on Twitter. He went on Fox News and called the memo a bust. He thinks it somehow vindicates him, said that Schiff was a bad guy, that his actions were probably illegal, none of which is true if you read the memo. I mean, you can be uh, conservative or, or liberal, but if you read that memo, what, what the way Trump is reading it uh, isn't isn't the way any you know sane person would, would read it. Well, there's the key word right there. Saying, saying. So let's go into a few takeaways from the memo quickly. So the FBI didn't rely solely on the Steele dossier. I like saying dossier. Um, <laughs> Pass the dossier. The dossier. Uh, it sounds like I'm a spy, which I guess, you know, if you work for the CIA or FBI, you may be. Um, Democrats say that the FBI didn't rely solely on the controversial dossier that was written by Christopher Steele. He was a former British intelligence officer. Um, that's something that uh, Nunes was really trying to push. Um, the FBI was already investigating Page, uh, who had been assessed as an agent, quote, an agent of the Russian government. Uh, again, that's not going to be called an agent of the Russian government. When you are an American citizen, no less. <laughs> yes. I mean, I feel like I've been transported back to some movie that came out in 1984. It, it, it really is ridiculous. The Rosenbergs were agents of the <laughs> Russian government as well, yeah. I might recall. <laughs> um, the, the FBI's investigation of Page started back in July 2016, which is about six weeks before they got the dossier. Uh, and our old punching bag, Trey Gowdy, he's the guy who first uh, helped draft the Republican memos have the FISA warrant applications relied more on Steele's dossier, uh, but you know the warrant shows that that's not the case. We know that just a lot of the Nunes memo was just nonsense, was just either a, at worst a lie, at best just incompetence. Well, and anyone can say that the warrant would have been issued. You know, thank you for your pontification, but uh, I, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in there, regardless of the dossier, that deserved a warrant. 
Um, the, and the FBI also is showing that it knows more about Page than it's saying. I mean, the biggest issues between these memos is uh, you know, what evidence was used to get the warrant, to get the eavesdropping, uh, to be able to eavesdrop on Page. Um, as we said earlier, Nunez uh, said the FBI relied too much on the dossier. But Schiff's memo suggests the FBI had independent reasons for investigating Page. And these are reasons that were redacted in the released version, so uh, we can't figure out exactly what it is. But if it was a nothing burger, why would they be redacted? Exactly. And you know what? Of course, as you said, the FBI knows more about Page than they're saying, you know, as they shouldn't discuss a confidential investigation mm-hmm. that could impact the future of this country. So, yeah, I don't want them to share everything and show their hand just yet. <laughs> and you know, at least 14 of the blacked out portions of the memo came immediately following, uh, you know, the same sentence about Page's name. It was like as early as redacted a Russian intelligence officer redacted targeted page for recruitment. I mean, read between the lines. It's pretty obvious that it doesn't look good for page. Uh, so <laughs> to any of us there out there on bated breath, waiting for something big to happen, we continue to be on the edge of our seats, but it certainly looks like things are getting closer and closer and closer to the top. I mean, this is all the president's men and they're ticking off one by one. I mean, when you meet with close personal friends of Vladimir Putin, you know, during the election process. I mean, come on, whether we've said this before, where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, this is like a horror movie where they're building suspense, but yet the, the horror monster never shows up. We're just sitting there at the suspense and more suspense. I'm waiting for the, for, you know, for Freddy to jump out and scare us and for the other shoe to drop, but we haven't gotten there quite yet. We can only believe that it's coming though. I mean, how much of this goes on? How many people have to resign how many indictments need be issued something's gonna break don't you think you'd really think so something's got to give i mean mean, the fbi has verified some of the info in the steel dossier uh, but then again that's redacted so we don't know exactly what they verify but the the golden showers verify that if the p if the p tape really exists i will crap myself sorry to be so crude but there's no other way to put it i i mean that would be the most insane thing ever. I mean, we thought it was hilarious when we first read about it. And if it's real, I'm, I'm, oh, my God. So if it's real, how long before it gets released online? And do you or do you not buy it? Oh, I, I pirate illegally. Sorry, uh, FBI, if you're listening, or CIA, uh, don't come after me or whoever it may be. Um, but yeah, that'll be everywhere as soon as it's out there. Um, oops, sorry, it was accidentally leaked online. Um, and, and the funny thing is, if, again, if you look at this stuff, it's like all these stuff, all this stuff is redacted. But like the things, Page, Moscow, Russian officials are not redacted. So again, like you said, you can put two and two together and figure out what it means. Um, it's like almost like a game of ad libs. Uh, I, I really want to put like funny adjectives in there to make my own funny sentences. Yeah, it's like a Google keyword search. It really, it really is. I mean, the FBI is even, you know, the, the dossier was politically motivated, but we don't know how, because um, it was originally p- commissioned by the conservative website, Washington Free Beacon. It was later uh, paid for by a DNC attorney or attorney representing the DNC. Uh, so, you know, the Nunes memo alleged that the FBI failed to tell the FISA court those facts, um, but I, I don't think that's true. If you look at the text in there, uh, I think it's, you know, pretty clear in there. Yeah, I mean... Seems so to me. I mean, what more do you want here? I know. To a certain degree, we're just kind of beating ourselves in the head, saying the same things over and over again. But these are the things. I mean, these are the things that Trump thinks vindicates him, which I just don't understand. Um, I mean, many Trump investi- uh, Trump campaign officials were under investigation. Uh, it wasn't just just Page. I mean, a lot of the stuff was redacted. Um, but if you look, there may have been a mistake in it. There was a footnote that outlines five cases against Trump officials that originated in that time frame. That's Manafort, Gates, Page, Papadopoulos. 
Flynn. Speaking of Gates, by the way, Kevin, uh, Mueller has petitioned the courts to get rid of some of the charges against Gates this week. So what's going on? What did, what did he spill? It sounds like a quid pro quo, if you ask me. Sure does. And, you know, when have we seen this much intelligence being collected on this number of people who are associated with the political campaign, save for Watergate? And we all know what happened there. And he has the nerve to say crooked Hillary all the time. Well, I sent you the thing yesterday on Twitter where he, he just tweeted witch hunt and then a, a newspaper article from the 70s where where Nixon is claiming that it's all witch hunt. It's, you can't write this stuff. It's so funny. It, it, again, it's funny, but it's sad at the same time, and we laugh so we don't cry. That's You got that right. Well, before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit about our sponsor for today's podcast, Ecosia. Cozy is an awesome alternative to Google that you should all be using. It's an ethical way to browse the internet. And we always say, what does that mean? What's an ethical way to browse the internet? Cozy invests their profits to plant trees and regenerate forested lands all over the world. How awesome is that? Well, here's how it works. You search the web with Ecosia. Search ads generate revenue. At least 80% of their surplus income goes to planting trees. Literally, all you have to do is what you're already doing. Search the internet. Over 20 million trees have already been planted, and with your help, Ecosia will reach 1 billion trees by 2020. Ecosia has created a special URL so that our listeners can plant trees together. Go to ecosia.co backslash pod. That's E-C-O-S-I-A dot C-O backslash P-O-D. You're going to search the internet anyways. Why not plant a tree while you're at it? So, Kevin, there's been continued fallout over uh, the gun debate uh, over the last week. CNN had a town hall where people like Marco Rubio came and spoke to people directly involved in the tragedy, to the, the children who survived it. NRA spokeswoman Dana, I think it's Dana Lash. Was Dana, I've heard Dana Lash, Dana Loesch. I, I was watching CNN, they said Lash. That's what I'm going with. I'm pretty what, sure what it's think? Lash. Yeah, it's Lash. All right, good. And, and good. To, I always want to be sure. To backtrack just for a second, you mentioned Marco <laughs> yeah. Rubio, and, and we like to give credit when credit is due. <laughs> Marco Rubio despite all of his faults, and in my opinion, at least showed up for that CNN town hall. Well, he does represent them all. I mean, it's it's kind of his job. The same couldn't be said for Florida's governor. No. And Senator Nelson, also a Democrat from Florida, apparently wasn't invited to to an event in the White House where the governor was, because I think Trump's trying to get the governor to run against him in in the election. That's the talk of the town, yeah. It's it's so stupid. This is something that should be taken seriously, and again, they're playing politics. We also had Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel, and he's been taking a lot of heat recently, too. Uh, but that's, that's another that's another story. I want, I want to talk about Dana Lash uh, for a sec. I mean, she was speaking at CPAC, and we'll get there in, in a few minutes uh, about some other areas of CPAC. Uh, but she said, many in legacy media love mass shootings. You guys love it. And I find it to be just a ridiculously stupid and disgusting statement. I mean, she later added, uh, now I'm not saying that you love tragedy, but I am saying that you love the ratings. Crying white mothers are ratings goal to you and many in the legacy media in the back of the room. I don't know. What do you want? What do you have to say, Kevin? I can't say anything. I love how they come up with terms to kind of demean the mainstream media. That, you know, the lame, lamestream media or legacy media. These folks are old. But I tell you what, Jess, I trust the tried and true, not the new media media BS and nonsense, the lies and fake news that's out there now. I trust legacy media. I don't trust Breitbart. I mean, Trump likes Alex Jones. That's enough right there. That guy thinks Newtown never happened. 
and he probably has some some uh, excuse for this one as well in Florida. Uh, but you know, she may Lash may be the NRA spokeswoman, but it's obvious she wants to be more. She's trying to parlay this into something bigger. Uh, there was a tweet out last week from I think it's Paul Guyot. Excuse me if that's not you say his name. He's a producer on NCIS New Orleans. He's uh, produced a lot of other things too. Uh, but he said that she had come to him with a pitch about a hot young mom who is as far right radio and said her age and looks will make one side lover and the other side hater and uh, everyone will want to watch. She was obsessed with fame and money, and then he says he turned her down. So uh, she's trying to make the most of this moment. I guess it was former Obama chief of staff. Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste, and I guess that's what she's doing right now. Yeah, you know, it seems she would fit in in Trump's White House very well because she seeks the attention probably, you know, or almost as much as the president does. And honestly, she is attractive, but I just find things she says you know, really make her less attractive. And it, it is true, men can find women to be less attractive by their views. You know, we always go that men are pigs and don't care about stuff. No, it's not true. Um, you know, I find, I find a lot of things she says disgusting. Again, I will give her credit, like I'll give Marco Rubio. She sat there and took her licks at the CNN town, town hall. Uh, I just don't like the way she's looking about things. But, uh, <laughs> The best part was watching her, you know, take heat from some of the students like Emma Gonzalez, who's been very outspoken about everything that happened to, to watch her kind of get shut down by a 17 or 18 year old kid, high school student. You know, that, as we said last week, it, it provides hope in a hopeless situation. Well, I think part of it is that people like Marco Rubio or even Dana Lash, they usually can be asked a question and then give some BS response that doesn't really answer the question. And usually politicians or other people will be like, you know, okay, it's part of the game. But these kids are like, I didn't ask you that or you didn't answer the question and they don't let them get away with that, which I think is fantastic. That's exactly what we need. So I'm glad somebody's willing to do it. Yeah, me too. And Trump met with some of the students at the White House, and he's getting a lot of crap, and deservedly so, that he was holding a card with some things on it, and one of them was like, say, I hear you. And I think there was a, an interview with one of the kids who they, they asked, you know, they think the president heard him. He goes, oh, I, I know he heard me because it said so on his little card there. I mean, they're giving him crap too, which I think he deserves. Yeah, he doesn't understand empathy. He needs to have it written on a card. He wants others to understand him with no reciprocation. It's he, he's a sociopath. He's, uh, I can't tell you, sociopath, a psychopath, or just plain, you know, insane. Um, Trump also has, like, speaking of insane, he has a bright idea of arming teachers to prevent further shootings. He sent out tweets that basically said, I never said give guns to teachers. And then he tweeted out, like, basically give guns to teachers. He wants to give concealed guns to gun adept teachers with military or special training experience. 20% of the teachers would be able to immediately fire back and stop these savage sickos. Uh, he said highly, highly trained gun adept teachers and coaches would solve the problem instantly before police arrived. Great deterrent if a potential sicko shooter knows that a school has a large number of uh, very weapons-talented teachers and others who will instantly be shooting. The sicko will never attack the school. Cowards won't go there. Problem solved. Must be offensive. Defense alone won't work. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, you're, you're a teacher. What, what do you think? Well, Is that, this a great idea? First of all, his official communication and the biggest word he can come up with is sicko. I mean, deranged would be too difficult for him. And, mm -hmm. and by definition, if sicko is referring to one's mental health, do the deterrents even matter? If somebody is mentally unstable, do they even care that there might be people in the building with guns? I mean, look at how many of these school shooters, not uh, Nicholas Cruz, but previous school shooters, Adam Lanza and some of these other people were prepared to die. They killed themselves. Do they care that there might be people with guns in the building? Is that going to solve the problem? Absolutely not. Now, just to your point, 
on me being a teacher and if I think this is a good idea? Absolutely not. By nature, those of us that are teachers are empathetic. We see the human being uh, who we, you know, we're tasked with teaching kids from all different walks of life every day and we're taught and we have it in our nature to kind of see the good in each of these kids. And I believe that taking life would be too difficult of a task for most of us to manage. And I wouldn't want to put a gun in my hands and I wouldn't want it in any of my colleagues' hands because the next thing you know, the school hallways turn into the Wild West. That's not what we want. You know, a lot of people think we're in a movie, like this is like Lethal Weapon, where, oh, guys coming at you, well, I'm going to shoot him in the shoulder and in the knee. If you see even police officer statistics, they miss a lot of times, too, and they're trained professionals. And that's nothing against cop. I mean, it, when you're in the middle of something going crazy going on, things happen. When you're a teacher, you work with kids from all different walks of life. Sometimes kids act up. I know I was a little rowdy when I was in school. What happens when a teacher just loses his mind after you know being told to F off for the hundredth time by his kid and pulls out the gun and shoots him? Now, I'm not saying all teachers do that, but it just takes one guy to you just get at his wit's end and then God knows what happens. Well, I had that com- that exact conversation with a, a colleague today because we had seen some report about a, somebody in Georgia, I believe it was, was a teacher was arrested with a gun or had a gun on campus. And and that very subject came up. You know, well, are we talking about teachers' mental stability? Like it, Sometimes it's a stressful job and you might lose your cool. And if you're packing heat, what kind of damage can that cause? I don't want to be the yeah. one to risk it and find out. I mean, how many teachers do we get reports on are sleeping with students? Like, you know, people's teachers, just like everybody else, there are there are people who have bad judgment, like any other profession. Uh, although in my profession, if I had bad judgment, I can't kill people. That's the right. problem. You will never, ever convince me of the theory that a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. That That is a bogus, pie-in-the-sky, simplistic view of things. It, it's not that simple. So I want trained professionals. I want the police, armed security forces who have been trained. If you're going to put anybody with a gun in a school, it better not be teachers and preferably not in the building either. Why don't we get to the root of the matter here and talk about why guns are a problem? The gun culture of the United States of America is the problem. If students think it's a bad idea. Teachers think it's a bad idea. A lot of veterans I've been seeing saying think it's a bad idea. Paul Ryan thinks it's a bad idea. I mean – but it's not entirely it. true. Yeah. I mean, he's punting the issue because he doesn't want to deal with these. You know, as a parent myself and as a citizen, I think it's a good idea. But as Speaker of the House, I think we need to respect federalism and respect local jurisdictions. So, you know, he wants to respect local law here. But when they want to pass the law so that guns can be brought from one state to another, you know, open and concealed care, you know, they don't care. It's, it's so hypocritical how sometimes state rights matter. Other times they don't. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's uh, blue lives matter. Other times they're going after this guy, Israel, in uh, in Broward County. It's just – the hypocrisy always just gets to me. It's page one in the GOP playbook if you ask me. It, it really is. And again, as I've told people on this podcast many, many times, I was a registered Republican for 17 years. So you know, we're not just bashing Republicans because we want to. Uh, it's really just how we feel. And you know, I it bothers me enough with what's going on that I actually switched political parties. So uh, we're not just hacks. Uh, trying to push our own agenda. Well, we are trying to push our own agenda. Yeah, who are we kidding? Maybe hacks, but for different reasons. You know, come on. Uh, so uh, Trump also uh, has a higher opinion of his bravery, I think, than, than I do and probably than you do. Uh, he was talking to a group of uh, governors and saying, you, know, you don't know until you test it. But I think I really believe I'd have run in there even if I didn't have a weapon. I think most of the people in this room would have too. Does any of us – do any of us believe that Trump would have run to that school with no weapon, you know, bare, you know, bare chested, ready to, to beat the sick? Go bad guy. Yeah, Captain Bonespurs, who had multiple deferments from going to mm. Vietnam, was going to run in and stop a school shooter. 
with his bare hands? No. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being like, no, I would not run in there without a weapon to stop a guy with a, you know, a semi-automatic weapon. Uh, I don't think any sane person would, would say, no, you're, you're a coward because of that. But you sound like an idiot when you say you would do that when he would be the, you know, you'd be shot immediately. It's, it's. He's not a Navy SEAL. You know, he's he's not black ops going through the air ducts and going to you know come down and get this guy. It's he's he's Donald Trump. I mean, that's all you have to say. Well, the disappointing but not surprising part of all this is that the NRA is not being swayed. They're not moving at all. Mm-hmm. And according to CNN, they appealed directly to the president himself regarding raising the age of purchase uh, at a Sunday luncheon this past week. So they have gone directly to the president and said, do not push for raising the age limit on purchasing of guns and you know they're not moving we know this you know most people don't realize but i think a lot of members of the nra don't realize that the nra isn't there to help out gun owners they're there to help the gun manufacturers and if you change laws so that less people can have guns that's less money for the gun manufacturers and that's less money the gun manufacturers give to the nra and you know it's a vicious cycle uh they care about the bottom line as i told someone today uh, when they were laughing because uh, Dix is no longer going to sell some automatic ref, uh, weapons, and they, they they said, you know, they're just going to go to other places and buy them. And I said, sometimes integrity is more important than the bottom line. And when places like Dix are, are going to stop selling these weapons that are dangerous, uh, you know, I give them credit. They may lose money, but I think, you know, first of all, the positive press they get is great. And just, I think it's the right thing to do. And sometimes that's what's the most important thing to do is the right thing. Exactly. You know, Dix found out that. The, the school shooter in Florida had purchased a gun, not the gun that was used in the shooting, but had purchased one of his many guns at a Dick's Sporting Goods store. And they said, you know what? We don't want to be part of the problem anymore. We want to be part of the solution. So they acted on it. You know, I forget the CEO's name off the top of my head, but in the interview that I watched with them today, he was quoted as saying that, you know, it's thoughts and prayers are meaningless if you don't act. He's like, this is our way of acting on uh, trying to bring some change. And anybody who's pissed that you can no longer use an NRA membership to get a discount at, like, you know, Enterprise Rent-A-Car or something or Delta, just use your AAA discount. It's a fine. You know, it's, it's the same thing. It's like 10%. No big deal. Uh, CPAC was also last week. And, uh, guys, you know, the, it, CPAC is a conservative political action committee. I think we talked about it in one of our first episodes. It's a get-together where ultra-conservatives come together and, and you know, reinforce their own beliefs and you know, sing kumbaya with each other. It's a live-action version of Fox News and Breitbart. It's it really what it is, and it's gotten worse in recent years. Uh, it, we've already mentioned Dana Lash's comments. Uh, they also booed John McCain for voting to save the ACA. And again, this is war hero, former GOP political candidate John McCain, who's also, by the way, fighting a life-threatening brain tumor. Uh, CPAC, classy as always. Well, we would expect nothing less for people who are, you know, ideology over country. And it's really become... CPAC is. They're the base. They are the party of Trump. Uh, Trump tweeted out a big CPAC straw poll results 93 pr- approve of the job the president is doing. Thank you. 50% say President Trump should tweet more or the same. Funny, 79 say Republicans in Congress should do better job of working with President Trump. Starting to happen. So this is the, the Trumpiest of the Trump voters, and half of them think he should probably tweet less. That, that doesn't say something right there. I don't know what does. Right. And what about the other half of the country? According to Gallup, roughly uh, as of 2016, I should say, roughly 25% of the population identifies as liberal and another 35% as moderate. So if my math adds up, that's 60%. The majority of this country is not 
members of CPAC. So you're 93% of 40% of the country. What does that really add up to? Yeah, it's not very much. Uh, and Trump should just know that, yes, you win you win a poll, a straw poll or whatever at CPAC. CPAC. Again, it's just making you feel good. It's like He stays in his own bubble in Fox News, what they accused uh, liberals of doing previously. He, has, he goes on Fox News shows where they're all going to love him. He goes to events where they're all going to love him. Uh, and then sometimes he throws out things to a group that doesn't necessarily love him unconditionally, like putting guns in schools. And you see most of the people at that meeting did not agree with that. I think he doesn't know what to do. He kind of just goes, oh, okay. But I think when when, when people aren't constantly kissing his butt, uh, he gets a little lost. Oh, how tough it is to live in the, oh, the real world. How tough. Um, CPAC also disrespected former uh, Republican National Committee Chairman Michael Steele. Uh, Ian Walter, who is the CPAC uh, communications director, said that Republicans elected Mike Steele as chairman because he was a black guy and that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, that obviously upset Michael Steele, and uh, he actually refused an apology. Uh, not a good look again for CPAC. Well, uh, again, you know, when you are that ideological, and I don't advocate this on either side, like to, for groups who are so extremely ideological that get together to pat each other on the back and, and don't care enough about their country, and even within their own party, they're attacking like more moderate mm -hmm. members of, of the party they support. So, you know, how much good does this actually do your cause? Well, that's something that the Democrats have to stop too. You have to stop fighting within your own party and unify. Exactly. CPAC chairman Matt Schlapp, I love that name, Schlapp, uh, he's a friend of Steele's, and he tried to smooth things over, but it really wasn't working. I mean, I don't know what Ian Walter's uh, ethnicity is. I saw him, I saw the video. He's not white, uh, and so that's something that, that Schlapp pointed out and tried to say, you know, people don't see what, what Ian looks like either when he says – and, you know, Steele's like, that's no excuse. It's stupid. Uh, and he's funny. If he feels that way, I'd like to see him say it to my face, and then I'd like him to look in my record and see what I did. I actually met Mike Steele a few years ago, and while I don't really – always agree with his politics, I think he seems like a genuinely nice guy. He's been very vocal in his uh, disdain for Donald Trump and how he's been running the country, and that goes back to what we're talking about, that Republicans have no place in their party right now for people who think differently, for, for moderates, and that's not how a political party should be, whether you're Republican or Democrat. There should be places for people from the extreme back to the center, uh, and you should be working together to change things within your own party to be best for the country. And they also have no place in their party for uh, people who are poor or who are minorities. And that reminds me of Mitt Romney's 47% comment back in the 2012 campaign uh, for president, and where he was referencing 47% of Americans paying no income tax and saying they were on the government dole, et cetera, uh, and he was caught on a hot mic. And that, that cost him uh, potentially votes in the election. So, you know, you've got to be There's more this version of the his version of the basket of deplorables thing that, that Hillary got. It's just these stupid things can just derail your campaign in ways you just can't imagine. It's it's the world we're living in today. But you can't continue to cut out an entire segment of the population. And, you know, mm. with the exception of the 2016 presidential election, Republicans haven't been faring well, and specifically because they hadn't done well with minority groups. No, and those groups are, are getting larger as we move on through the decades. So uh, they have to change. It, it kind of reminds me when the old saying, you know, change or die type thing. And that, that's really what's going to happen to the party, I think, as we move forward. So we'll see. <laughs> Sadly, the change has been uh, ultra crazy. <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo. Um, the last thing I want to bring up is uh, back to the old Pennsylvania redistricting issue. We talked about it a few weeks ago, um, and a new map was actually approved, 
And to nobody's surprise, it benefits the Democrats. And it doesn't benefit them because it was drawn to benefit them. Uh, if you look at the districts and how they're drawn now, they actually make sense. They're not winding on weird ways uh, to keep certain people in that district. And as a result, it happens to benefit the Democrats. Uh, and uh, it just shows the former districts were drawn by the GOP for the sole purpose of benefiting them and not, again, not doing what's right for the state. So shall we instead say that it benefits democracy with a little d mm-hmm. as opposed to Democrats, right? This is what democracy is supposed to look like. You make the, the districts geographic and then you let the chips fall where they may. Whoever lives there, whatever their party affiliation is, they're going to vote how they vote. And then you get an actual candidate who represents the people of that geographic territory. And if they redistrict it and it helps uh, Republicans in a former district that was Democratic, well, that's just the way it goes. I don't care what party it it helps as long as it's fair and they're doing the right thing. Fairness. Fairness matters. <laughs> Fairness, yes. So this really upset a lot of Pennsylvania Republicans. Senator Pat Toomey uh, said that a conversation has to happen about impeaching members of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court who approved the gerrymandering uh, decision. So a sitting senator is advocating for the impeachment of Supreme Court judges over a decision he doesn't like. It's not how democracy works. It's not how government works. Separation of powers exists for a reason, uh, and nothing the Supreme Court did was inappropriate. He just doesn't like it. Now, State Rep Chris Dush, who we've talked about before on the show, who was leading the charge against the decision and for impeaching the judges— claimed, according to the Washington Post, that the court's majority engaged in misbehavior in office because the ruling overrides the express legislative and executive authority to create laws. Uh, Mr. Dush needs a civics lesson. I mean, that's exactly the power of judicial review is to overturn laws that have been duly passed by a legislative body or executive orders enacted by a president or a governor. That's the court has the responsibility of overturning things that are unconstitutional. And this, my friend, is unconstitutional. Read a civics book. And of course, Trump had to chime in, and he chimed in after watching a story about it on Fox News. And we know that because he actually tweeted at Fox News about this, saying that Democratic judges have, with, have totally redrawn election lines in the great state of Pennsylvania. It's a commonwealth, for crying out loud. If you're going to tweet about it, get it right. I used to live in a commonwealth myself in Virginia. Um, This is very unfair to Republicans and to our country as a whole. Must be appealed to the United States Supreme Court ASAP. He had originally tweeted out that the original was correct. Like he knows anything about gerrymandering and like how districts should be drawn. He actually suddenly he's a scholar. Oh, yeah, the original one was correct. Why? Uh, Because it helped me. That's his answer. It's it's so stupid. All right, Kevin. uh, What do we have for Kevin's corner this week? Well, Jesse – It's been exactly two weeks since the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Although Congress is seeming to return true to form, back to business as usual, and the news media begins to turn to other issues in the ever-growing 24-hour news cycle, I am not. As a teacher, each mass shooting in a school, be it primary or secondary, hits far too close to home for me to forget. While students of Parkland continue to speak out and other stage protests around the country, not to mention the overwhelming public support for expanded background checks and other common sense gun control laws, the NRA continues to claw back against any form of restriction on guns and to push for more guns in schools in an effort to make them hardened or safer. In this regard, the NRA exemplifies the worst of our political system as they continue to use money and resources to influence Congress to act only in favor of their special interest and not of America as a whole. We must continue to stand up and speak out, reminding Congress exactly who they serve. At the same time, 
We must continue to model empathy for our youngest generations so that fewer people become disenchanted to the point of mass violence. Based on the response of those affected by the tragedy in Florida, it seems the president could use a lesson in this too. Great as always, Kevin. Oh, so eloquent. Thank you for that. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening to us again. Uh, another great episode as we enter again our second year. I'm pretty excited for that, Kevin. Uh, remember to go to our website at grabthembythepod.com for lots of great goodies. Uh, and until next episode, we'll talk to you, Kevin. Later.